Hello and welcome. Is your business your mission and your mission your business? If yes, you found your tribe. Whether you feel like it or not, you are avant-garde, going your own way, making your own path, doing it like no one has done before. And the answers to the challenges you're facing aren't in a book. My friend, you are not alone. This is the Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Bailey, a mission-minded serial entrepreneur and traveler. My purpose on this earth is to use my authenticity and passion to equip and empower social entrepreneurs to live in their highest calling, feeling freedom, fulfillment, and security, and inspiring others to do the same. Join me for stories, tips, and tricks for taking avant-garde inspired action in your business so that you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. I believe it doesn't have to be hard to be right. Welcome to episode 19 of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I am so glad you're here today, my friends. In the last episode, we expanded our view just a little outside of social enterprise. We had the opportunity to learn from creative entrepreneur Nubantu Modisu, an artist and designer, or the artist and designer behind Afrophilia Magazine on how she balances creativity and entrepreneurship. Nubantu very openly shared about perfection paralysis and how she overcomes it. Her advice to social entrepreneurs at the beginning stage is to just start, just to press the start button. And her advice to experienced social entrepreneurs is to focus on the process of perfecting versus the impossible goal of perfection. You as a social entrepreneur are essentially an artist. Every action you take, every thought you have is creating something new that the world has probably not seen before. And there is always, always a reason to not put it out there and to stay stalled. But there are even more compelling reasons to put it out there. I can promise you this. You are someone's dream come true. You're someone's miracle, the provision that they have been praying for. There is someone out there who, when they see you, your product or your service or your training opportunity, they're saying, finally, a solution just for me, an opportunity for me. One of the things we talked about in our live group coaching call in Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Foundations last week is this notion that people are literally called to you from their higher power. They want the opportunity you're offering. They want to partner with you. They just need you to show up to make yourself seen and known. This is a process and they will find you. So fast forward, you get them, they come to you, they're drawn to you, then what? How do you keep them? That is exactly what we are talking about in today's episode. One of the things that makes social entrepreneurs unique, aside from this dual, this balance of profit and people, is that you have multiple stakeholders. You have donors, investors, you have beneficiaries who you serve, train, and educate. Plus, you have paying customers who actually buy your products and services. These stakeholder groups, they have very different agendas. And your loyalty to them, how you show up consistently means everything. 
but it is not easy to balance all of them. So I'm thinking we need an expert to give us some insight. Our guest today knows a thing or two about creating, innovating, entrepreneurship, creating cohesion in a multicultural team, and keeping customers happy. We're talking to Matt Barnett, also known as Papa Bear, and he is the founder of Bonjoro. Matt is a designer by trade, so he's creative at heart. Bonjoro is Matt's second business, so he's also an entrepreneur. What started as a sales hack for an agency that Matt was running went from a tech hack to a side hustle to a global business in just 18 months. Wow, don't we all want to know what is Bonjoro and how did he do it? Don't worry, he's going to give us a skinny on that. Bonjour is based in Sydney, Australia, and his team is spread across five continents. The only thing that Matt loves more than building great products is building great culture. His goal is to be the next Zappos, the most beloved brand in the world. When he's not heads down or up to his knees in a project, he spends time rescuing wildlife, teaching his daughter about beekeeping, and running one of Sydney's largest tech founder networks. Matt. Papa Bear, thank you so much for being here with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me and good morning from Australia. So everyone, you should know that Matt is here. It is 6 a.m. for him and he is here with us today. We are very grateful. At 6 a.m., I'm not talking to anyone (laughs) aside from telling my husband good morning and thank you for my coffee. That's it. So I really appreciate Matt and commend him for not only being up, but camera ready. with us today. So Matt, I think the question on everyone's mind is, what is Bonjoro? Please tell us about it. So Bonjoro started initially as a video messaging tool. So we look for a way to connect with, based in Australia, you face the the age old old challenge of time zones. So Mm -hmm. if you want to work with a good business, we love people. I love FaceTime. I love humans. Being in Australia when everyone else is overseas kind of gets hard, yeah? So we so we started to use videos as a comms tool versus email. And we used this originally to connect with clients in the agency. We ended up building a product that served that. So essentially a personalized video messaging tool. So when customers come in, leads come in, when people donate, when your community performs an action, we notify you and we say, hey, look, verse, like rather than sending a drip email, this would be a great time to send a 30-second video to Tom, who lives in Philadelphia, and just thank Tom for his donation or for his contribution as a customer. And so these little 30-second asynchronous video messages that go out through email to that client that really give them an amazing first impression, give them a bit of your brand, give them a bit of you, and hopefully turn them into you know a long-time customer and a more loyal customer at that. Now, since that kind of basis, we've started to really look and unpack this, this idea of what loyalty really means. I think loyalty is far more than just a rewards program or, or a discounting scheme. Loyalty is really this idea of, you know, when the customer first, when you have your first interaction with the customer until they, you know, stay with you for the next 10 years. And so we're starting to build out other products that help you try and fulfill that loyalty journey. And then we've just launched a product around video testimonials that helps you leverage some of that loyalty and use it to drive more customers into your funnel. So that's kind of where we started. But that's what we're going after. It's quite a big, it's quite a big goal. I think, I think that whole, the whole loyalty industry needs a refresh and, you know, Companies around the world with online uh, communications need to be given a better chance to connect with donors, with customers, and with community. 
When you say that they need a refresh, when loyalty and the concept of loyal needs a refresh, what does that mean to you? I think the term loyalty has been, as with every term in the world, gets taken by marketers, uh, good mm-hmm. or bad around the world, and kind of like, like I think twi- twisted. So, like, so if you go to Google and type in loyalty, which about loyalty, we generally think of, you know, rewards points programs, so kind of like airlines and, and, and things. We also think about kind of discounting and like loyalty cards. Now, that's those are mechanisms that, that, that potentially do fulfill part of a loyalty journey, but they're not what loyalty is about. Loyalty is the customer who keeps turning up every day. Like the example I love is Australia is a, an obsessive coffee country. So here we, the top of the pyramid of, of any person is your barista. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that like we will follow our barista as they move from different like small coffee shops, and there's no big chains, it's all kinds of small coffee shops, a bit like Italy. The reason you follow them is is twofold. First of all, yes, good coffee. We love good coffee, but there's a, there's a level you get to where good coffee is good coffee and there's lots of competition at that level. The reason you follow the restaurant is because they remember your name, they know who you are, and when you turn up for your three minutes in the morning, they make you smile and they get you on the right track for the day. Now, the best baristas do this with thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like mine, who's called Rocco, he's this crazy Italian guy, knows everyone by name, knows everything about you, and like if he moves, we'll go with him. And so that's what loyalty is about. It's not about his product. Yeah, like his product's got to be of a certain standard. But I'm loyal to him because he cares about me, because he shows and you know, and he's creative and he, it makes me smile, yeah? He makes mm-hmm. my life better with him. So I'll follow him wherever he goes. That's what loyalty is. And there's many ways you can obviously build that journey and use it. He's not giving me rewards. He's not, mm-hmm. he's not giving me free discounts. Like, <laughs> no none of that's card. happening yet. <laughs> there's no punch card yeah. at all, yeah? Which is crazy, right? Yeah. But that's what loyalty really means. You know, when that punch card, when I forget it, I'm still going. There's very few interactions in life in a business sense, or in a company sense, or in a, or in a core sense, even on the nonprofit side, there's lots of stuff we do to help. Loyalty is again, like it's hard because there's so much choice. Mm. You know, it's not that companies aren't doing like good at all. Yeah, that's that's not the point. But I'm bombarded by choice, and so I'm a fleeting swan. Mm. <laughs> I can go elsewhere. You know, it's it's interesting when you talk about it like that. I think about how easy it is to get distracted in business with all the stuff with all the tasks and all the projects and all the initiatives and all the amazing things that you could do. But it sounds like what it really comes down to is Rocco. It comes down to the person that, that you are and that, that the social entrepreneur or that the business person is serving. It's really about that person because that's who they're following. I think to extent as well, the brand. So yeah, other people who work in that coffee shop mm-hmm. under Rocco's direction they're not him Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're not Mm -hmm. not quite him yeah because because he's the guy behind it all but they are full of life very charismatic you know like extremely like energetic that that time in the morning make a real effort with people but i also i also get he because of his brand Mm -hmm. hires people who fit his mold Mm -hmm. right so this is where you start to go from the individual to the brand and when we talk about brand as a company i'm not gonna go too far here because i'll I'll get out of rabbit hole but but brand is not just a logo. It's the voice that your company speaks with, and thereby it's the voice that your team and your community speak with. And so when we talk about loyalty, the point is here is it must be scalable. Mm-hmm. So as a founder, very important for you to lead this, but you want your entire team to behave the same way with customers so that we then become loyal to brands. And obviously, you've heard the stories about people who tattoo, you know, their uh, football teams on the on their shoulders and you know and all this crazy stuff yeah that's what it means to be like obsessively loyal to a brand now you're not looking for that like exactly that but 
you're able to do a lot of the brand because also you need to think about contingency planning. You know, if you're not there, if you move on, the ultimate goal of a social cause is that when you move on or you're, or you're gone, that continues into the future and continues to do good for the next 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. But there's the brand's the second part. The first part is the founder and the early team, and then you start to build it and scale it. Mm-hmm. But it needs to go across the whole organization, not just you as an individual. Are you seeing anything because it feels like there's been a little bit of a shift in business, I think, in business culture in the past, let's say, between the 90s and the 2000s. What are some of the things, the way that you're seeing shifts from how the previous generation did business that either needs to change or is changing for new entrepreneurs that are coming in today? Whenever we talk about change, everything's a cycle. I'm sure your last guest would have talked about, you know, cycles in design and fashion and, and creativity. Yeah. So this is the same within, within the way that we deal with customers. What we're doing now is, is just what the previous generation mm-hmm. did regardless because everything was, was bricks and mortar. So everything was offline in the real world. Mm-hmm. Go back to the rocker example. People who love people, like it's actually easier to build loyalty in person. For most who start companies or who are in client-facing roles, we like people, we love them, we engage with them, yeah, and we get very, very good over time as you get more experience. So you would have, you know, your accountant that you would stay with for 30 years because they wine and dine, you know, wine and dine you and they look after you and they and they do things to you and you get on with them and you get to know them and you build those relationships. Now, the change happened when we started to move online. Now, I think what happened is we moved online, everyone got incredibly excited because suddenly that this word scale came out of the woodwork. And we're like, ah, oh, we're a good example. Yeah. Like we look like I'm British. I live in Australia. All our customers are in the States. Like this is weird. Like worlds where suddenly like my customers are not on my doorstep. They're overseas and different cultures. And I love the fact that we can build a business that is outside of Australia while living here. It's, it's kind of the perfect scenario. However, because we got into the scale thing, everyone rushed on, everyone scale, everyone built, built these funnels and marketing campaigns and email, everything else. And we slowly start to take the human out of it more and more and more and more in pursuit of scale. Mm. I think that was fine for a while. I think everyone on both sides was actually okay with that. Consumers were okay with that as well. But then suddenly one day, like genetics and evolution, whatever kicks in and like humans are social creatures. This is how, how we evolved. So the reason we were successful is because we are community, like animals as such. So we need human interaction to function. We crave it and we love it and we want to build our tribes and the tribes have turned from, you know, just family into like our business world is, is, is our tribe or our school or our community has, has become the tribe. So what's happening now is that people, I think, are subconsciously craving that again. Mm-hmm. And this got brought to a head, I think, especially in the last couple of years with the whole like COVID situation where suddenly people were, were absolutely cut off. Where we've been teaching on the edges, we suddenly kind of went cold turkey and we're like, we can't see people. <laughs> and so things bounce back and then suddenly we're like, oh, we need humans again. And so the companies that I think realized this earlier or didn't necessarily realize this, but were able to put this into practice in an online situation. Cause again, good companies wanted this. They just didn't know how to do it. Were able to kind of rock in the head because suddenly that became a competitive advantage. So again, a good example here in industries is like, I'll say something very black and white, like, like e-commerce. Mm-hmm. E-commerce is very transactional. You go online, you search for your item, you buy it, you're done. Suddenly e-commerce companies started to talk about loyalty and retention and they started to put people in into the process and using things like video to, to thank customers and they would start putting notes in the, in the packaging and they would have customer success teams who would check in on customers and repeat anyone who, who bought twice would become a law they they do anything for them 
And so what became a very like single transaction industry suddenly has changed into a, into a loyalty-based system because those that did that, people came back and purchased again and again and again, and they stayed for life. And so if you look at social causes and, and like nonprofit, the same things happens here is that people love giving to causes. And I've run like, like we do as a company, we, we give 1% of our revenues away every, every single month. And it's interesting, we go from lots of different causes, but there's a few of those causes really engaged us and kept us. And so we keep giving to those causes, not because necessarily their cause is better than others, but because we've got to know our team. And so we think we can make more of an impact there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, again, loyalty's fight. It's not that we don't want to give it to everyone or that we don't want to do anything else. It's the fact that like we have a relationship. And so we're naturally subconsciously drawn to this, this nonprofit. And ultimately, no matter how much good we want to do, we only have so much capital to give away. Mm-hmm. So where do we put that? And if one team engages us more, we're going to give more to them because we think we can make more of a difference. So again, so long story short, this is a circle. We're going back to what people used to do when they met in person. We struggled to do that online. Partly technology wasn't there because you couldn't do video. You couldn't meet face-to-face. And partly, I think everyone's great excited with scale. And now that's breaking down as competition has gone up and you have to do better. And the tools are there to do this. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, obviously you have a lot of experience as far as being the giver and the recipient, and you meet lots of different people. How do social entrepreneurs, people who have lots of different people and lots of different demographic groups, what are some, you know, we've got, on one hand, we have beneficiaries who very much, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, very much like in level one just meeting their basic needs, food, shelter, water. But then they also have people that might be in like level four where they really want to give back and they want to contribute. And so you've got this huge disparity of people and the conversations have to be really geared a little bit differently, I think. Maybe that's a good question. First of all, does the conversation need to be different for different types of people? in your experience to maintain that loyalty or to gain it? I think different people have different needs. Think like, of course you have to tell your, your, your conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately like I hate to suggest this is like sales, but, but it is, you want to talk the language that your customer understands that can come out in two ways. So one is you have a team that's very adept at talking to different people on different levels, which some teams do. The other thing is, is you go, well, forget nine of those levels will focus on this one that we really understand. Mm-hmm. So maybe you only cater to the millennial crowd for, who are looking to give back like earlier, which is a massive growing giving base, right? Like it's really exciting. People are coming into this, into giving a lot earlier than they would do historically. So maybe you focus there, or maybe you focus on those who have, who are retired and have the wealth to start to give back and, you're, and they're looking to give to one fund for the rest of their life. I think again, they have different needs. They have different reasons for giving. They probably support different causes. They might have different political agenda. Like yeah, there's, there's big differences between those. So you either try to have different people in your team who can, who can relate to deal with those, or and this is probably actually the better way. Like I think is you niche down. So you understand your one, say, so your one beneficiary, your one giver, the simple that is the easier it is for you to do it. Like as a business owner, simple is easier. 100%, yeah. And you become more of an expert at doing that, yeah? So you go much, much deeper into that. So you understand, like, the intricacies of exactly how to talk and exactly how to, like, what the needs are of, of each side. I think that's probably the way that, that I would go. You can do both. Mm-hmm. The different strategies. But yes, 
different people have different needs. You need to talk differently to them. Don't expect that everyone's, this is the brand of marketing. You don't expect everyone to understand the same message. Mm. Yeah. It's not, it's not just about the cause. You have to present it in the correct way to meet everyone's needs on that hierarchy. Mm. Yeah. Down to the, the micro levels within each larger level on, on the hierarchy. It still comes down to relationship and that one person, right? And the, or the person that creates the culture sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's your baby. You can build the culture. You can build the culture. Have you like, this yeah. is the fun thing. Yeah. And the reality is if you've started off on your own, you've got success in the early days, obviously your culture works for some people. Mm-hmm. So the easiest way is just do more of that. Don't grow up and change. Just like expand what you're doing on day one. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So Matt, there's a lot of things that we could talk about because you have so much experience. So I'd like to shift our conversation a little bit from the focus on loyalty to your life going from being a creator, a designer to being an entrepreneur. Because it sounds like it happened pretty fast. It was a pretty fast change. If it, you know, what started one thing 18 months later is something different. What's it been like when you talk about, you know, it's your baby, you can create it however you want. What's it been like to release the baby you created to others in your organization so that you can focus on different things? As a creative, and like you said, your, your listening audience are creatives, yeah, they're starters. What I crave most, and I imagine many listeners do, is I like challenge. I don't think creativity means you're necessarily even un, like, like an artist. I don't think you need to be mm-hmm. ever having touched anything to do with design or artwork or music or any of that. I think creativity is a mindset in how you approach problem solving. Mm. Yeah. And when you're painting, when you're painting images, you're trying to get emotions out and try like, like that's kind of a problem to solve. Yeah. Like, like how do you make somebody feel something? Yeah. That's a really hard problem. Yeah. That's the ultimate pinnacle. But in business, solving problems and scaling things and bringing people on the mission and trying to do your very best to help beneficiaries to the biggest extent possible and try to keep on like all this, these are all extremely hard problems to solve. So when you lead something and when you run something, for me, I love the problems, problems, problems. And trust me, like for everyone's business, there's problems every day. I'm going to get off this call. I'm going to have probably like two hours before everyone wakes up. And then it's going to be problem solving for the rest of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And most of those problems are people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so most problems are leading team to help, like helping team make their decisions and solve their problems and giving them structure. Like, I'm not going to solve the, like we're looking at pricing today. I'm not going to go and solve pricing, but uh, our CFO, I will talk with him and help him structure his thinking around how to solve that problem. Then off he goes. You know, then we have like, you know, like stakeholder management problems. Then we have branding and product stuff. And it's just lists of problems. But what you need to understand is that to be successful, you just have to incrementally go through them one by one, get really good at problem solving, move through them. Other people you take on your mission, again, if you're the creator, the starter, mm-hmm. they are not potentially going to be as good at problem solving as you. So you want to put the structure in to help them or hire people who are really good at problem solving. It's fun. I think it's amazing. I think scaling up what you do. And again, you think about the social side of it. I think about us, yeah. Again, we're not a full social organization, but we do the 1%. So 1% of our equity, time, products, and, and revenue goes into causes. So I'm like, well, how do we, how do we 10x that? How do we leave a legacy that the only way we do that is, is by growing the company and therefore pushing that forward. And then ultimately allowing the team to go off and do projects around that and, and try and grow that side of it. That's a great outcome. But we need to solve the problems in order to get there. So it's hard. Enjoy it. Let go. You don't have to control everything. Again, it all comes down, like everything in business, I think comes down to people. 
I think that's number one thing. And that's the hardest thing to learn over the years is having a great team, having a high performing team, having the right people on board with the right brand who fit you, who could do the right problems, keeping them, engaging them, giving them passion, helping them. That's what it's all about. Products and services, absolutely secondary to that because without the right people, you can't, you can't bring those to the world. But it's also the hardest, the hardest part by a long way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's good for people to hear. It's good for listeners to hear that that business is very much about being, that problems are always going to be there. <laughs> and I think that if people don't understand that, that can be very frustrating. So it's good for people to hear that and that it's really about being creative and problem solving, and getting good at that. Listen to things like this podcast and go and get, my normal advice is like go and get other people who are doing the same thing as you in your network. Mm-hmm. Find other people running social enterprises. I've run like a founder network here for the last 10 years. It is very technology biased. Interesting. Now everyone's got kids and we're getting older and people are starting to go into their, their second and third things. People are starting to look more like impact and, and legacy. Mm-hmm. So like I expect within 10 years, we'll actually have more of a social tent. We'll be giving back and kind of funding new startups. But that community is the reason we're here today because when things are hard, you're like, oh, everyone else is going through it too. And someone else has already gone through a problem. They're like, oh yeah, we did it this way. It's a very hard journey. With support, it becomes so much easier because if you don't have these networks or you can't change them, listen to podcasts like this, read material, realize there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people out there like you, having that support network is the number one thing you can do to help you get through these these challenges because you're not only on your own. If you have a founder, that's also obviously a great way as well is, is not to do this on your own. Start with two of you mm, or three of you, mm-hmm. you know. Well, since you're here, people are now going to know about Bonjoro and the opportunity to use video. So Matt, how does, in your experience, you've worked with so many customers, how does Bonjoro help? How would Bonjoro using this some of the services, because you have many services, the platform is growing rapidly. How would they use video to build loyalty with their customers? Yeah, so I think going back to the kind of the benefactors and then you'll kind of like donor side, I'll use that as a base level. Here it's about, so it's back connection. Yeah. So if I think in the world of giving back, one of the things missing for a lot of organizations is me understanding the impact that my dollar has. Mm. I think a lot of this has got better. I see a lot of initiatives to try and match these up together. The easiest way to do this is forget calculators and everything else. Like, like it's just connect people with people. So I don't think this has to be necessarily like a call like like we are having here today. So one of the ways to do video is obviously get out videos of the impact the organization has. We have our marketing videos, but then go down like another level, which is not edited video. And I'm biased because we use video a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. But essentially, like I've seen amazing experiences built with us where what will happen is people in the organization will film in schools, in hospitals with benefactors, film them, get a little message and a trans be like, thanks, thanks, Joanne. You're all they're building a well. They'd be like, thanks, Joanne. This is where your $453 is going today. Just want to say how much it means. And I hope you stay with us for you ever. And they set back here. And then what happens is Joanne comes in and goes, Oh my God, this is amazing. Have some more money or I've referred in four more people. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the thing that's missing a lot of social courses don't do is they don't connect the actual, like, where's my $453 going? Like mm-hmm. you put, and this is why, so we as a company never ever give money to large orgs. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We always search out for small ones because I want my every dollar to go further. And I believe that small organizations will make that dollar go further. Mm-hmm. Large ones I give into, I get put on lists and it's like a generic thanks once a year. I'm like, I don't know if I made a difference or not. Mm-hmm. Whereas when yeah. I get somebody else and the founder comes back and they're like, and obviously when you first start up, you have more time to do this. But as you grow your team, it's incredibly useful to do this. Yes, yeah? so we work with a company called Cocure International and they basically do massive campaigns every year where they go and thank individually every single donor. Doesn't matter if you give them a dollar or $50,000 and they have a lot. Yeah. But the whole company gets in and does thank you videos and they do it once a year because it is a monumental task. Mm. But essentially, whenever they do it, they gather like another like 7% of like revenue like that month where everyone who just comes in and puts more money in. Yeah. And they don't even track the referrals that come out the back of it. So the one side is again, like if you can connect those two parts, you don't necessarily have to be benefit themselves, but maybe one of your team who is out doing the work or, or doing the things, or even in the office just saying, thanks, this is what it means. And it's a 10, 20 second video very quickly. Yeah. That the idea of, of impact is really important. It's just a really way, easy way to do it without going too deep. The other thing I'd suggest, I think, is the other parts of this loyalty picture. So you want to create more loyalty. Video is one way of doing it. There are many other ways. Again, like show the journey, show the impact. That's the important mm-hmm. message here. Yeah. Show the impact as much as you can. At the other side, uh, this is something else the company is very bad at, is once you have a more loyal donor-based, customer-based community, you need to use them. Mm. And for some reason, we are afraid to ask, I think, as humans, because we're good people. We don't want to put pressure on people. But the reality is people want to help. So when you ask customers, would you refer this organization? You do NPS. Everyone's like, yes, they absolutely would. They don't go and do that. So like 90% of people who say that they would refer never do that. Not because they wouldn't, but because it's not top of mind and because they're not in a situation where they should do that. If you go and ask them and say, hey, do you know three people who you think could get involved that would love what we're doing? And you ask them that direct to their face or yeah, whatever, then they'll have a think and they'll go, yeah, actually, I know three people. And they'll give them to you, yeah? Or you say, would you mind telling your story about why you give and why it's important to you and the impact it's made for you. And then they go, absolutely. And then you do a little interview with them or you do, you collect some testimony on video. I think again, video is really important because it gets the emotion across. And in the world of social causes, like emotions, what you want, like that's mm-hmm. how you sell it. They'll tell you their stories. It also might be other ways you can get into input, which is like, hey, you're extremely loyal. Would you mind giving us feedback on what we could do better? And really listen to them and understanding from their point of view what will make the message better for them. And then you can learn and, and improving and use that to go out to others. It might be if you have an online community. If they're loyal, they end up commenting more and involving other members and they start to build this forum. And so and again, that starts to build its own momentum and starts to people start to refer more people in and then off it goes. So I think when you think about loyalty, you need to create more loyalty and that human connection is the easiest way to do it, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Map out your donor journey from the day they ever hear of you. So the day they leave and look at how many touch points you have and go, well, which one of those we can do a better job? Some of these might be in person, some might be calls, some might be mass email marketing, but map it out. Look at every point of connection and think, how can we do a better job there? And then once you have them and you believe they're loyal, which means that they will donate next year and the year after and the year after, go and ask them for stuff. Go, like, and not money, yeah? Like you're not just asking for money. Like ask them to help you in other ways. Because again, come back to us as a company who donates we can give money. That's actually the easy part. Giving money is easy. We're like, yep, here's transfer, done, go make change. If someone goes to us and they're like, oh, look, we're actually trying to build this bit of technology. You guys are a technology company. Can you help us? And we like rally our entire team for two days and go and build something for them. It's worth 50 times more than the money we give them, you know, to them as an organization. It's way more fun for us 
And if you really believe in the cause, we're going to go and do that. Yeah. And so that, and so you can get so much more value than just like the, the dollar off. You can't get that off everyone, but you'll get it off some people. No one asks us. Well, if you ask us, yeah, we're like, Hey, can we help you in other, in other ways? I think humility is great, but if you know you're pe- helping people and you're doing a good thing, you need to have some confidence around that and be okay to ask for more help from your donors. And there's, I mean, trust me, like any one of you, there's five times more that your current donor base can give you in value. It might not be direct monetary value, but there's a lot more you can get. They could be your biggest growth channel. That's powerful, Matt. There, and there's so much in that. I think that people often overlook the intangible, the intangible gifts that people give. For example, you're a prime example. You're here at 6 a.m. on this call, pouring into our listeners and giving some incredible advice that you really, you can't put a price tag on. And I think it's important for the listeners to grasp what you're saying that yes, humility is important, but your donors are there. They want to help. Your investors are there. Your partners are there. They want to help in tangible and intangible ways. And they just need you to ask. So we can boil this whole interview down to just ask. (laughs) That's amazing. Ask and thou shall receive. (laughs) Ask and thou shall receive, indeed. I will say that I've used video in one of my other companies. I own one that is, it's highly regulated. So we're really limited in the tools that we can use. But I have used video a little bit, kind of on a broad scale with clients, and they love it. They love it because they feel like I'm there. We they made love a you. Major, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. That's what it is. Yeah. We, we made a major shift during COVID. One of the good things is that we realized if these ginormous companies are working remotely and doing all this from their homes, why do we need an office anymore? because we were much smaller and we made this shift to, we still have a, we still have an office, but it's not the huge thing that we used to have before. And I was able to send out a video about that. It was just a quick, I think it was a two minute video. And it was as if, you know, it was still an an adjustment for people because they're used to kind of having a brick and mortar. Sometimes they like that security, but just a two minute personal message took something that could have been very overwhelming and concerning for people. And it was just like, this is what happened. This is what we learned. This is what we're doing. And this is what you can expect from us going forward. And it, it was a miracle. So, so one of the things too, that I want the listeners to know is sometimes I know a lot of you, especially in Africa are doing a lot with tech. So you are using apps and technology to bring solutions to people. Sometimes people can think that apps and software are too expensive. And one of the things we've talked about is that cost is only an issue in the absence of value. So there's there's that. But then I will also say that Matt and his team have really developed some affordable options for nonprofits and for social entrepreneurs. So if you're interested in using video as part of your loyalty as part of your relationship building with your customers. Matt and his team have really done a lot of scaling and I can tell they've done a lot of work on the back end to make things affordable, available, and easy to use on the go. I mean, just let us know that you're a, you're a nonprofit or social organization. Mm. You need to prove it. Just let us know. Yeah. And then we, and then we do, we do options on pricing. And to be honest, we'll also give a lot more help as well, because as an organization, we're trying to give back more. It's weird how hard, like, it's hard to give back, which sounds ridiculous. 
but it's hard to find opportunities that we can give back and help more. So find me on LinkedIn, find any of my team, talk to us if you come in, come in, let us know you heard about us here and hop on a call with us. Like our time is yours. That's great. So everybody, I'm going to put Matt's links in the show notes. So his LinkedIn is there. Bonjour website is there. He's also on Twitter. So definitely reach out to them. They are a very personable organization. And Matt, before we go, I have to ask you one last question. So back to your dream of being the next Zappos, the most beloved brand in the world. What does that look like to you and your team? I think you want to be the place where everyone wants to work. Mm. I think to do that as an organization, you also have to leave a legacy and give back. That's be core to what you do. Like I said, like we do the 1% movement. It's a great thing that we started. We want to do more as we get bigger. We want more of an impact. And then we also like want to be a wonderful place for colleagues and families to grow and, and stay with us, you know, for key parts of their career. It's hard to do, I think. You know, Zappos paved the way. They did it in an age where it was, they really broke a lot of ground. There are other companies doing it today, but we want to be the place where everyone turns to work and it's just like, I love it here. I'm going to give it up for the world. And that makes it a pleasure for us. This is why we do business. Mm-hmm. We do it for the people. We do it for the loyalty. Well, Matt, it sounds like you are well on your way of making your dream come true, uh, making that dream come true for you and your team and your family. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate the wisdom and the insight that you've shared with us today. You really can't put a price tag on it. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you next time on Avant Garde Entrepreneur. Thanks for listening to this episode of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I hope you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. If you enjoyed what you heard, share it with a friend. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it here on your podcast player. Questions, comments, or feedback? Connect with me directly at trishabaileyphd.com or on social at trishabaileyphd. Now, you go and get back to making the world a better place. I'll see you back here soon.